that triangle is what I call your status of a man. Okay. So you might be a high on money, but you might be fat and sloppy. You might be a shitty person. If you add up the score, you have a 10 on money, but a zero and zero on everything else. But as long as you're in the top 10% of one of the three categories, you're going to be okay. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. I want to give a shout out to Valuetainment for allowing me to use their awesome studio. If you're watching the video, you can see the setup right now. Without much further ado, I want to introduce you to today's guest. He is the host of SauceCast. He is a businessman, an entrepreneur, a man who wears many hats, and this is the one and only Adam Sosnick. Welcome hey, to the show, bro. Good, good to, to see you. you. It's been a while, bro. <laughs> no doubt, man. How you doing, bro? The tables have turned. The tables have turned, man. Um, so I've done a brief intro there, Adam, for people who are unfamiliar with you. Please tell them a little bit about yourself. I, I try to keep things pretty simple, and I also believe in the rule of three, you know, to kind of tell your story. So you're talking to a guy that uh, was a jack-of-all-trades in his early 20s in Miami, nightlife guy, party promoter, stand-up comedian, uh, networker, just a fun guy to be around, but I was broke as hell. Mm. So um, I got out of that world, um, and I uh, moved an hour north out of Miami, got into the financial sector, um, started off as a cold caller, just, you know, smiling smiling and dialing, dialing for dollars. And uh, my first year, I made five grand. My second year, I made six figures for the first time in my life, and it's been onward and upward since then. Um, 2012, I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm uh, traveling around everywhere. I'm in a different city every other week, every other month, uh, working in for my firm. It's basically a hedge fund in that world. And I'm working out in a gym, and I meet a guy named Pat. Uh. Uh, just working out in the gym. It turns out to be Patrick Bet David. We were just two dudes working out in the gym. And uh, we liked each other. We kept in touch. That night, he invited me for some cigars. Cool, whatever. Uh, stayed in touch. Every year, I would see Pat at the same financial conference, consistency, consistency. Sometimes your best ability is your availability. And I, I just was always like, what up, Pat? What up, Pat? What up, Pat? This is before even Pat was value tailored, Pat, before he was even PVD. He was just a guy uh, in the industry. We just had sort of um, liked each other. It was like homies. Yeah. Um, what happens is 25 years old, I enter, I enter the financial industry. I'm broke as hell. First year, I make five grand, nothing. Ten years later... I'm 35, 36 years old. I'm a millionaire. It uh -huh. took me 10 years to become it. So to the people out there that don't think that you could ever amount to something or it's going to take forever or I can't do it, I was sleeping on my friend's couches at 25. By 35, I had NBA players crashing in my extra room. Right? Awesome. So um, the third phase of this was that uh, I always say that the financial sector, what I do is what I do. It's not who I am. So uh -huh. I started making content online just like, like you've done for the last 10 years, probably. And I, it was very money-driven. Uh, PBD saw what I was doing. I joined forces with Valuetainment in 2020. I was the first talent signed by Valuetainment. And at the time, I was like, oh, I'm talent? This is, <laughs> you know, like, ready on set, talent. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I guess that's, that's right. me. So uh, since 2020, I've been running with, with PBD, with Valuetainment. 
you know, I have my own show, Saucecast. Yep. That you've been on recently, and I co-host the PBD podcast with PBD and our crew, and um, I'm just somebody that's constantly learning, constantly trying to improve, constantly trying to level up, uh, realizing that st- that complacency and stagnancy uh, is a recipe for disaster. So I'm just trying to improve in all facets of life, and I'm I love being around whether it's PBD, whether it's yourself, whether it's Vivek Ramaswamy, whether it's Andrew Tate. Mm. Uh, political figures, business leaders, I'm just locked in, sponge-like, and learned. So um, those are the three evolutions of my life. Now it's just about growing and learning even more. No doubt, man. You you mentioned a lot of interesting names there. Many people, well, yeah, all people I've done podcasts with and met in person multiple times. You've got the, had the opportunity to hang around with a lot of successful people all the time in all sorts of different industries and sectors. Do you find... Is there some commonality that you found amongst these people? So some of those names you've just listed, as well as other people I know you've met, worked with, recorded with, some there will be, will be people who don't see much similarity between some of those names. But what, what have been some of the traits of successful, high-performance people that you've just noticed? I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to being a free thinker mm-hmm. and not being the type of person, well, like, well, you know, the media said this, so... That's what it is, whether it's left or right. Yeah. You know, we all know in, in America, well, the CNN and the MSNBCs of the world are going to have their narrative and the Foxes of the world and the bright parts of the world, what have you, yeah. are going to have their narrative. Um, we we had a guy, Ari Fleischer, on. Um, name rings a bell. The name rings a bell because he was the White House uh, press secretary for George W. Bush. Okay. He was the guy, 9-11, he's on, you know, mm. TV talking about that. He's, you know, he's there. And he said a word that I always remember, that you need to have a mixed media diet. Okay, yeah. That you need to basically soak in information from all different sources. So I realized at one point in my life, I was relying on way too much of one source over another. Mm. And what I realized was like, let me soak it all in, think for myself, digest all the information, and kind of figure it out for myself. So what I realized is, whether it's speaking with Zuby whether it's speaking with Vivek, whether it's speaking with Tate, whether it's speaking with Chris Cuomo, what, whatever, na- Alex Jones, mm. the names go on and on and on. All these guys develop their own opinion on something, and they're not just doing as they're told. Yeah. And some of them have a wildly different opinion on sure. things, right? But they're all forming their own opinions and their own narratives, so they actually understand what's going on, not just doing what you know the sheep will do and just be saying, well, I've heard it here. So I think I got to give credibility to all those people because they're actually discovering what's true. You know, we talked about truth uh-huh. on their own, not just relying on outside media. No doubt. I want to rewind a little bit. Um, so obviously you you talked about the three different phases that you went through in your life, but I feel like there's a phase that was missed before that, which is the whole childhood and teenage phase. Tell me more about growing up. Did are you uh, were you raised in Florida? Yeah, born and raised. Born and raised here. Okay. Yeah, my you know I think everyone's childhood shapes who they are, um, and um, mine was no different. So I was uh, born and raised in Miami. A lot of people are like, "What? What do you mean here? Like in Miami in the eighties? Yeah." Like, mm. So people feel like they're like, "Well, you're this is crazy because a lot of people basically have come here over the last five, ten, twenty years." Yeah. And born and raised in Miami, uh, my mother was a nurse. Uh, and my father was uh, a disabled businessman okay. board with cerebral palsy. Mm. So uh didn't affect his mind, didn't affect 
anything other than physically. Okay. So you would have suspected he had a stroke. He was a big lumbering guy. Um, and he, um, you, you, you knew something was up. His speech was off. His physicality was off. But he was the man of the house, uh -huh. right? Uh, it was my sister and, and myself. And my mother, big heart. Um, my father, um, just straight businessman. He, he, his claim to fame was that he started an advertising business where he only hired mentally handicapped individuals. Oh, wow. Right? Okay. Now, in the 80s, we called them a different name. Okay. Mm -hmm. We called them the R word, but they okay. had canceled to use the R word these days. But these were people with serious problems, right? Mental problems, physical problems. And at the time, uh, what I realized was, you know, he built this business, all these people helping these people. But every time you would pay them, they would lose the money. Like they'd put their money in their shoe. Was, yeah. Oh, this was before the internet wiring stuff. I, I, I have to jump in immediately. Yeah. I mean, how, how did he run a business like that? I mean, I don't, I, I don't get how that even functions. Exactly. So, but, so it was a, it was a flyer delivery business. Okay. So this is before the internet. Again, this is the eighties and nineties. Um, and he would hire people to walk around the neighborhood and put the flyers okay. in people's mailbox. So simple, repetitive simple task. Simple, repetitive gotcha. task that anyone could presumably do. These mm. guys would walk and he gave them jobs. He gave them careers. It was great. It was a, mm. it was a very um, altruistic. Noble, altruistic profession. And, you know, what, 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 what came to be um, was he would try to pay these guys and then they would lose the money or they mm. wouldn't value the money. So what he had to realize was that he needed to pay their rent or he needed to get their clothes or he needed to feed them. So that, that culminated with every night at dinner, it'd be me and my family, my mom, my dad, my sister and I, and three retarded guys hanging out at the dinner table. And then you think that it sounds like, oh, that's so sweet. There's a reason I became a stand-up comedian, Zuby, <laughs> stand-up comedy, is because you can't write the stuff that we're talking about. Wow. Right? So um, I remember coming home one night um, not well, after school, and I had a... Uh, like a study date, right? I'm in eighth grade, so nothing crazy is no. going on. But this girl's going to come over. We're going to study. And I'm thinking to myself, please don't be at the house, these guys. Please oh, don't no. be at the house. Like, please don't. Like, I don't need this in my life. Sure enough, I show up <laughs> on my porch. There's new Craig and Raleigh, you know, just like, hey. And I'm like, oh, hey, guys. They're like, who's your friend? Yeah. So now I'm engaging in conversation with these three handicapped individuals for, um, the, the soft feelings yeah, yeah. there, but people, you know, back in the day were like, uh -huh. these, are, these guys, and now it just, it's just embarrassing and weird, <laughs> and it just makes you kind of have to, like, look at the humor of the situation, mm -hmm. so I, you know, people are looking at this and be like, well, what's so funny about this? It's pretty funny, but at the same time, it, it teaches you empathy, so every year my dad would make me go, not make us, uh -huh. we would volunteer the Special Olympics, Yep, and I would be there, and I would see just Talk about gratitude, Zuby. Yeah. Um, if you're feeling down on yourself, you know, at 15 years old, I had pimples like a, like a normal kid. And I'd be like, oh, my God. And it's like, well, we're going to the Special Olympics right now. Um, ask these guys in a wheelchair or ask these guys who are basically vegetables, who are just the happiest people in the world just because they won a little race for yeah. 50 yards. You're complaining about this? Mm. So it taught me gratitude. It taught me no matter how bad you think you have it in this world, there's people with infinitely worse problems. So that's how I got started on my just like having empathy, but also, you know, seeing the best in people, but also doing sent comedy. Um, 
the, the issue that I had with my dad, not so much. Uh, it sounds like, uh, you know, he was my hero, but he was also a very aggressive, abusive dude. Okay. So if it wasn't his way, you know, my way, the highway. And I had a very contentious relationship with my dad because I realized that there was two things, two very polarizing emotions that my dad looked at me that was pride and jealousy. Okay. Because I was a very good athlete. I had always... I was always I, I I I was a public school kid my whole life. I got a, sc- a sports scholarship for football and basketball. I played football in college. Played a little bit of basketball in college. Um, I got a sports scholarship to an elite high school in Miami, Miami Country Day, and um, my father was very proud of me, uh-huh. but he was also very jealous because he also wanted to be that guy. So it was this very weird like. You know, overbearing, cumbersome, you got to do better kind of a guy. Like, if I, if I had your skills, I would have done this. But he didn't. But he was very proud of me. But he's also, like, stupid. Yeah. It's a very weird, aggressive, abusive relationship. And just to kind of put this all together, you know, not to speak uh, ill of the dead. My father, he died four years ago before My condolences. COVID. But yeah, his mom uh, would always say, hey, you get my dad grew up in Detroit. And, you know, if anybody makes fun of you, just punch them straight in the face. Straight up. Yeah. So here's a dude that would walk around, hey, you know, it's a retarded guy, bang. So what I realized is that didn't change when he had kids. Mm. So me being a loud mouth, obnoxious, sort of brash, bold dude who liked comedy, you know, if I ever stuck, a, you know, spoke up, bang. And I'll go, oh, wow. oh, like, so, you know, you know, a, a lot of kids would probably be served well by getting punched in the mouth. Right? <laughs> I probably, you know, these days, I probably got punched in the mouth a little bit too much. Yeah. There were so many lessons I learned from my dad about being, um, about being humble, uh-huh. about being having empathy, about using your skill set, about not, um, not being a victim. Yeah. Here's a guy who was handicapped with cerebral, palsy, with cerebral palsy, but also started a business. There were so many lessons there, uh, especially you know being a comedian, but also becoming an athlete, now becoming a businessman. But uh, that shaped my my youth, no doubt. How did that relationship with your father change? as you moved into young adulthood and then as an adult, cause you're, you're always going to view your parents differently mm-hmm. as a grown man as to the way you did when you were a child. So how did that, how did yeah, that change over time? Good question. Man. So I think a lot of people have these contentious relationships with their parents. So there were years in my life where I didn't talk to my dad. Yeah. So, uh, at one point there was, uh, a situation where my parents got a divorce. I was 20 years old and uh, a little, let's just say tussle in the house. Uh-huh. Cops show up. Okay. You know, there's some drama that goes on. I spend the night in jail. Oh, so, uh, okay. He's like, well, that's good. You need to realize that you shouldn't want to go to jail. I'm like, I don't need to go to jail <laughs> to realize that I don't need to go to jail. Yeah. I didn't need this lesson pop. So obviously, you know, when this, when this kind of ensues, I feel bad. I, 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 I talk to him. You know, I'm in college at this point. Um, but I'll never forget that there was something that changed. We, we stopped talking, and I was living in um, Denver, Colorado at the time, doing stand-up comedy mm. at the Denver Comedy Works. But also, every day, I'm doing three things. I'm getting high in Colorado, because that's what you do out there. Uh-huh. I'm writing jokes, or I'm playing a lot of basketball. And the air is so thin out there. I'm getting like the best shape of my life. You're not going to believe I'm dunking. I'm nasty. Yeah. I'm a point guard. And um, 
uh, these guys at the gym one day, they go, uh, hey, bro, like, what's up? You, you, uh, you got game, dude. You're, you're trying out for the Nuggets this weekend? Mm. Now, if you know about the Nuggets, that's the NBA team yeah, yeah. Denver. I'm like, uh, no, like, <laughs> not trying to make it to the NBA. They're like, well, we're all going over there. If, like, tomorrow morning, if you like, you should go. And I'm okay. like, yeah, okay, like, trying out for the NBA. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'll tell the quick story here. So I, I that that afternoon I had a flight to Vegas to uh, relink with my dad who I hadn't talked to for like two years. Okay. So I was like, all right, it's been long enough. You know, this planned out Vegas. He's going to, I'm meeting him out there, Denver to Vegas, not a long, long flight. So I'm kind of like anxious that I can't sleep that night. Mm. I'm like, I'm going to see my father. I haven't gone up. So um, I don't sleep that night and I'm up. It's like seven o'clock in the morning. I'm just like one. I'm like, uh, I was like, all right, well, let me go check out this NBA tryout yep. uh, just to kind of see what's going on. I basically bring my tennis shoes and I see what's going on. I get there and they're like, hey, you're here to register for the thing. I'm like, eh, sure, whatever. Zuby, weirdest moment of my life. Uh, I register for these NBA tryouts. It's tryout for the NBA Summer League, right? And um, just to put it in context, 500 people are trying out. Okay. And every hour they're making cuts. Right. So the first hour, literally, if you could just dribble a basketball, like not as an absolute, like if you played a high school basketball yep. or middle school basketball, you'll make the first cut. No problem. Okay. But every hour it got a little bit more challenging. Mm. So the first hour, you know, you know, easy, like a guy in a wheelchair, I think, made the first cut, like okay. literally not that complicated. Second cut. All right. Now you got to do a three man weave. They're going to do some basic stuff, some dribbling skills, some cone drill. If you played college basketball, you'll make the second cut. Okay. So it goes from 500 to 250 down to basically 100 guys. Okay. Now we're talking real stuff. Now they're playing three on threes and five on fives. And you never you just, you ever do a podcast one day or you ever just, you know, do a workout one day and you're just on. Yes. You just, For sure. you just have that day. Yeah. I'm just on. Mm. I, every shot I'm throwing up is going in. I'm dribbling around people like I'm Chris Paul. I've got game, but yeah. I'm not NBA. So all of a sudden they start announcing the cuts. You know, it went down from, you know, 500 to 250 to 75, whatever. I make it to the final cut. How many people was that? There were 16 people left. Okay. So they were going to divide it into eight and eight. Yep. And they were going to pick one guy from each team that'd be on the NBA Summer League roster. Okay. Dude, I should have been cut long time ago. <laughs> and my buddy shows up. Uh, this is a controversial statement right now. He's literally working at CNN at the time. He's a correspondent. Mm-hmm. So he's out there filming, doing this kind of stuff. He's out there for what reason covering the Kobe Bryant rape scandal. Oh, gosh. You remember this? Yes, I do. 2004. He shows up and I'm like, hey, get down here quick. Remember, I got to go to my flight to see my dad. He's like, yeah, the flight's in like an hour, dude. Like, mm. what are you, like what, what's happening here? So I go to the GM of the Nuggets. True story. His name is Kiki Vandeweghe, famous NBA player. I said, hey, Kiki, uh, pleasure being a part of these tryouts. Uh, he's like, you got game, bro. Like, yes. how are you doing? I was like, yeah, I gotta go. He's like, what? What do you mean? This is the last, <laughs> the last thing. I go, look, I didn't expect no. to be this far. I just, I'm a white boy with a little bit of game, six foot, two hundred. I got some things going on, but I just randomly showed up here today. Um, I gotta go. I gotta yeah. meet my dad. He's like, all right, well, okay. I go, but listen, here's what I want. I want to keep in touch with you because I'd love to work in sports. I'd love to do something like this. He goes, all right, we'll take my information and we'll go from there. So that day I, I 
literally like leave the Nuggets facility uh, outdoor out there in, in front of um, in Denver. I'm, I'm with my buddy. We're driving to the airport. He's like, bro, that was sick. Oh, that was sick. So I go and I meet my dad. We go to Vegas. And I lose 500 bucks in Vegas gambling. So my, <laughs> my luck ran out. But I tell this story that basically I was so focused on repairing this relationship with my dad yes. that um, I was. I, th- this was all just random minor details. When I look back at now, I'm like, wow. But at that point, the decision was on me to have this guy in my life. It mm-hmm. wasn't on him. You know, it's, I'm your dad. You better listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, at that point, we became more buddies than than father-son. Yes. I think a lot of guys are going to have, especially if you have issues with your parents, um, especially your dad as a man, um, not everyone has the, you know, the great role model as a father. Yeah. Not everybody has best bud dad. At some point, it's going to be on you as a man, as a 25-year-old man, as a 30-year-old man to say, all right, I'm not... I'm no. I respect that you're my father, uh-huh. but I don't look at you in that in that light anymore. I mean, I'm not coming to you for advice. I'm not looking to you as a role model. I just want you in my life. So yeah. For for many years, he was just in my life, and and as I became more successful, I was helping him more than he was helping me. Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, and that's how I was until the day he died. And um, uh, I'd be lying if it was. Oh, it's my best friend. He's a perfect dad ever. Sure. It was drama and abuse and not talking mm. but i'm always grateful for the lessons he taught me rather than being like fuck my dad i hate yeah, yeah. I think that's a horrible mentality. yeah well i think reframes are are important right i mean none of us choose the cards that we are dealt right but over the course of your lifetime over the course of the many decades i do strongly believe at least if you are in a country that has opportunities or you have the chance to get to a country that has some opportunities then where you end up at the end point is that that's up to you, right? We don't choose who we're born to. We don't choose what time we're born, what nationality we are, what we look like. There's all these things that are, you know, people are born into all different types of situations, but you get people who are just, you know, you're just dealt the hands that you're you're dealt. And then it's, how do you, how do you play them? And how do you shape those perspectives? So it's always interesting when I talk to people and learn more about their childhood, because whether it was, amazing or it was terrible or it was somewhere in the middle or it was some type of combination what i find is that people who achieve success whatever they went through they'll make it work in their favor you'll have people who like they went through like some of the worst imaginable stuff when they were young and they used that all as like fuel and motivation and they learned what not to do and they learn you and and then you have other people with a different mindset and they can be 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, and they're still blaming their mindset, their attitude, their lack of success, whatever it is. It's all like, oh, but, you know, when I was eight years old, this thing happened. And it's like, I think you can give that some grace for some time. And then a time comes in your life where it's like, okay, cool. Like everyone's got people have their stuff. Yeah. Some people have trauma. Some people have baggage. People have their history. But at some point as an adult, like it's on you, man, you gotta, you, you gotta reframe it and get on with it. Yeah. Motivation. Exactly. Sure. You, we all know guys who will basically, if you, if you really look at that situation, we know people with similar backgrounds, uh-huh. but they have different outcomes. Like I know them people in my life that both lost their parents at a young age. Okay. Okay. Disastrous situation. Horrible. Yeah. I know one guy that is, a multi, multi, almost billionaire. Uh-huh. And I know one guy who's just 
sobbing every day of the week and yep. could never get out of his own shadow or the shadow of his parents. So we're all going to do what's shit in our For sure. Right? And if you want to go down the I have it so bad path, mm -hmm. there's always somebody down the block that has it worse. There's always somebody that has it worse. And I could take you to the Special Olympics and they have it worse. Yep. And I could take you to the cancer center that's worse than the Special Olympics. Like, there's so much worse that you can always go down that victim. But at the end of the day, you know, they say like, 80% of the people don't care about your problems. The 20% of the people are happy you have them. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, you need to look in the mirror. And there's times where I look in the mirror and I'm like, you again, bro? I got to look at you? Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to be like, man up, bro. Yeah. And because uh, nobody cares at the yeah. end of the day. For you real. Gotta, you you got to figure it out yourself. For real. And you get the flip side of it. You get people who are dealt pretty much the best possible hand that you can be dealt. And they screw it up. School in royal and sometimes in glorious fashion just going out in a massive ball of flames oh, yeah. um it happens all the time tell me more about your time in the nightlife world how did you yeah. even get involved in that so um it helps when you're born and raised in miami for sure right so there's a lot of people that that come down here and we have i have conversations like so where are you from they're like miami like, yeah where are you from like, yeah miami i'm like where are you from from that's racist like, i'm from I'm from Ohio, right? <laughs> I'm from Ohio. How long have you been here? Uh, four years ago. It's like, so you're not from Miami at all. Yeah. So a lot of people would be like, where are you from? Like, Miami. So um, I'll, I'll use the nightlife as a, as, a, as a bigger metaphor of what you should do career-wise and, and utilizing your skills. I think you should double down on what you're good at and outsource what you're not good at. Okay. I've always been good at, hey, what's up, bro? Good to see you. Hey, man, welcome. Come on in. The, whether that you call that an extrovert, whether you call that networking, whether mm -hmm. you call that being a people person, I always knew that I'd be something in like the hey, good to see you, buddy. You know, unreasonable hospitality, making people feel good about themselves, or leaving people better than you found them. Shout out to the biz doc yeah. on here on Valuetainment. But um, yeah, I, I I I did parties in in college. I did parties in high school, and it was never like to make money. It was just hey, let's have a good time, kind of a thing. Um, but then what I started realizing in Miami is that there's money in this business. Uh. And um, I got involved in uh, nightlife in my early 20s after college. I would put together parties. And this is pre-social media where, you know, you would literally call people up. Hey, man, you want to come to my party this weekend kind of a thing? Now just on social media, hey, Club Live this weekend, what have you. So I got into that. And um, I always had connections. So... Um, I was in that world, but then I would always tell people, uh, and this was kind of like my line where I'd always, you know, gravitate people back to mind because everyone wants to be the man. Everyone wants to run the world. I'm like, I just wanted people to know me in Miami. Okay. And I would tell people the exact same line. And I told NBA athletes, this, I told rappers, this, I told the Kardashians, this, I've told everybody and everybody the exact same line. I go, look, if you're in New York, you don't need to call me. I'm not a New York guy. If you're in L.A., I got nothing for you in Hollywood. Chicago, Dallas, I'm not your guy. Yeah. But if you're in Miami, give me a shout. Yeah. You know, because I got you. I know things around here. And that, that started snowballing. Mm. That started happening. And then where it really kind of took off to another level was, you know, my dad's from Detroit. I told you that's so yeah. my mom's from Minnesota. I used to go back to Minnesota every summer and I used to play basketball. Uh, and I used to play in these semi-pro leagues. And this one summer, I meet this guy called Chris Humphreys, okay. who basically ends up uh. becoming a 19-year-old, make it to the NBA. He ends up becoming my buddy. And he came down to Miami, and 
He's 19. He can't go to the club. So yeah. he's like, Adam, you told me to call you when I'm in Miami. Yeah. I'm in Miami. Why are you coming out with me? I was running a hotel and a nightclub at this point. So I went out with Chris. Now, Chris went, ended up becoming, you know, a buddy to a good buddy to one of my best friends. And, you know, where the story ends is that he ends up dating and marrying Kim Kardashian. Yeah. So now I'm rolling. I was a groomsman in the wedding with the Kardashians. Mm -hmm. We're like, what? <laughs> the most obscure random story yeah. ever. Yeah, I walked Chloe down the aisle, and I was, ended up becoming good friends with all the Kardashians and Lamar Odom and Scott Disick, and we're going out, and I'm meeting all these people, all these NBA guys, but it always started with, hey, man, good to see you. Yeah. Good to meet you. So um, now I have a bar in Miami. Uh, does, uh, if you're ever out in Miami, go to Bodega down in Miami. Um, but that I think that's part of who I who I am, but I realized that, that I don't want to be a nightlife guy my whole life. I remember... It was a Tuesday night. I'm like 25 years old, and um, I'm seeing who's like the biggest guy in nightlife at this time. I don't okay. want to say his name, but he's out there. It's a Tuesday night. He's like sweating. He's probably on drugs. He's fighting with his girl yep. on a Tuesday night. I'm 25, 26 at the time. He's probably like 40 at the time. Okay. I say, I do not want that to be. Mm. So what can I do to use this skill set of networking and you know relationships? To make money. Yes. So that ended up being sales. And you can do anything in sales. You could sell anything. I ended up getting into financial sales and um, I ended up doing that. But my my job for my company, this is how I met Patrick Bet David to kind of bring that story mm -hmm. together. Um, my company would send me to be a, sort of the face of the company as the brand ambassador, the face of the company at all these financial conferences all around the country. So that was me. And I, I always pride myself with that. So there's people who are better behind the scenes. Uh -huh. People that are behind the better behind the camera. There's people who are better in front, brand recognition. So that was always my skill set. And I'm um, just trying to utilize my strengths and outsource my weaknesses. Now, if you told me to turn on one of these cameras <laughs> or put this lob mic on, 0% sure, yeah. chance it happens. But just playing to my strength. No doubt, man. Um, and when did you start your podcast, SauceCast? How long has that been so running for now? 2016, I started just social media. Uh, so all my handles are Saws Talks Money, which uh -huh. is talking about money, talking about money, talking about money. All we talk is money, save that money. But when I joined Valuetainment, he's like, hey, you got to reinvent yourself. Okay. It can't just be money. So I started SawsCast in uh, 2021. Okay. So, and that's, you know, he's like, you can't just do the money just thing. Just do the money day. thing, yeah. So basically it's, what I say, it's the sexiest financial show in the world. <laughs> We're talking finance. We're talking romance and where that kind of intersects. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's been a doubt. No doubt. Well, this might be an awkward, a, we a weird question, but why? why the weirder the better. Yeah. Why, why money? Why was money like the sort of focus? Yeah. Uh, that's not that. I know we. And yeah. I know, uh, I know what I mean is obviously money is important yeah. and we need it to live. Um, I feel personally like I'd get bored of talking about money yeah. on any sort of consistent level because i don't know how many different ways to say but what what made that a passion correct yeah um yeah there's there are different ways to say it and you kind of got to money is typically mm. a taboo subject so there's certain things that they would traditionally say are taboo you can't yeah. talk money amongst how much income you make and mm -hmm. you don't talk politics mm -hmm. amongst your friends or your co-workers or your family yep. and you don't talk sex mm -hmm. right that's you know, and you don't talk religion you know, religion as well, exactly. Yeah. All the interesting I'm stuff. Totally comfortable talking about that <laughs> stuff. But the reason that money was so interesting to me is because it changed my life. At twenty five years old, I'm the brokest person I know. Yeah. Sleeping on friends' couches, 
I'm doing nightlife stuff. I'm getting paid in good times and uh-huh. bottles and chicks at the club, but I don't have any money. Yeah. I'm also doing stand-up comedy. I'm telling jokes. I'm making people laugh. I don't have any money. And I give all that up to basically get into the money world, get uh-huh. into the finance world. Because, you know, the famous Wolf of Wall Street thing, you sold me a check for $70,000, I quit my job, I work for you. That was me. I had a guy, I had a buddy in my, uh, that I grew up with. Uh, he was in real estate, so it wasn't exactly the same field. But I remember he was doing real estate. Yeah. And um, he tells me, yeah, I made 70. He's like, Saz, I made 70 grand on this deal. I go, oh, you made 70 grand this year. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. It was pretty cool. It goes, no, on on this one deal. Yeah. I go, you're telling me you, you're an idiot. Elementary school. I don't mean this to be rude. You're not smart. Yeah. He goes, yeah, but I work hard. I know what I'm doing. I know about real estate. I made 70 grand of this deal. I go, I'm out of what I'm doing here and I'm getting into the money world. Okay. What it is, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm selling. I I can't even spell for Mm. at this point. (laughs) But I get an opportunity uh, to move up to Boca. I have to get out of Miami and I get into this, into this world. And I'm, and I'm, I'm in this financial wholesale world, mm. right? To so this sort of a, without belaboring what it is, it's sort of a hedge fund derivatives of life insurance, something called life settlements. Okay. But I didn't know any of this stuff. All I knew is that I wasn't scared to smile and dial and pick up the phone and show up and talk to people about what my product was. Mm. And I say all that to say that it took 10 years of grinding and hustling and meeting and connecting. And by the time I'm 35, 10 years later, yeah. I look at my balance sheet and holy shit, I'm a millionaire. Boom. This is crazy. What did that feel like? It was like, wow. You were 35? Yeah. Okay. Like, how did this happen? We became millionaires at the same age. Yeah. yeah. 35. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of it, but I did it through, mm. you know, some of it's in my 401. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of it's in a Roth IRA. Yeah. Some of it is in index fund and mm-hmm. mutual fund. Some of it is in savings. You know, I've never bought property in my life. I'm always kind of like, I'm that guy that basically says, uh, low overhead and high flexibility yeah, is the key yeah. to life. You know, I, my first few years, when I started making some serious money, I still lived in my place with three roommates stacking a hundred grand a, a cash a year. Yeah. Most people would go buy a Rolex. Most people would go buy a Mercedes. I'm like, stay Save home. that money. Save, Save that money. money. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you know, that's called uh, lifestyle creep. The more yes. money you make, the more nice things that you want. So I said, you know what? This is actually important right here. I said, what I do here, um, I can't talk about it with any of my friends. Mm. I can't go out in South Beach in the nightlife world and be like, yeah, I actually do something called life settlements. And it's actually a 65 and older product. And if you're doing estate planning and if you want to get your, your investment, they're like, what are you talking about, bro? So I realized that I need something that I could talk to people my age about. Because mm. the product that I do is very niche and it's very specific. And it's not for, it's not dinner conversation. Yeah, it's yeah. very high level Stuff. So and I'll, I would I would say things like this is important. Well, the reason I say this is because people are struggling between money and passion, money and passion. Do I follow the money or mm-hmm. follow the passion? I said this is what I do. Yes, but it's not who I am. Who I am is I want to talk, I want to meet, I want to learn, I want to joke around. That's not what this business is, right? So 
I said, I want to, I want to tell people, you know, how they should manage their money, but not do it in a boring way. Yeah. And I, I've all, I've, you know, you know, there's early adopters. You were a pretty early adopter in social media, right? Especially oh, for right? sure, man. Oh gosh, dude. I've been on Facebook since 2004. I was one of the first people on there. I've been on Twitter since 2009. I think Instagram since 2010 or 2011. So I can already tell you yeah. you're ahead of the curve. Yeah. I'm the exact opposite. Okay. I've never been ahead of the curve. <laughs> I've ne like when people were like, "Hey, why are you cold calling people uh, to come to your parties?" For example, I'm yeah. like, "They're like, why don't you just invite them on Facebook?" I'm like, mm. "I don't, I don't have Facebook." So I've never been that guy that's like tech savvy and an early adopter. Yeah. So you know, I don't know if you remember, there was a thing called Friendster for sure before MySpace. High five. And I remember asking my buddy Jeremy when I was 18. I said, "Jeremy, let me ask you something, bro. This guy's pretty tech savvy." Yeah. I go, What's the difference between email and the internet? Mm. He's like, oh, you stupid idiot. No, <laughs> right now, you laugh. Yeah, yeah. But in at 1998, you literally don't know. Like, that's yep. how far we've come. Yeah. So all of a sudden, Friendster shows up. I'm like, ah, I got friends in real life. And my buddy's like, well, you got to get on Friendster because, you know, you're a popular guy. I'm like, all right, fine, I'll get on Friendster. It took me a while, yep. begrudgingly. They're like, Friendster? Everyone's on MySpace now. I'm yeah. like, what? I just got Friendster. So I'm clinging to what I know. So eventually, like, you got to get on MySpace. You got to yeah. get on MySpace. So I was like, all right, fine. I'll get on MySpace. So like, good times. MySpace. Everyone's on Facebook. <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> what? Yo, I so I'm always, like, behind the eight ball. I remember that MySpace to Facebook shift so well because I put stupid amount of hours into MySpace. I remember I had over 28,000 friends on MySpace when um, it started to decline and Facebook started to take over. I remember when I changed my MySpace name to like be my Facebook link yeah. to try to like redirect people from MySpace. Yeah, under the curve. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to try to redirect my... But I'll tell you something, man. As, a, as an independent musician, MySpace has not been topped as a social media network. Really? Even SoundCloud? No. MySpace is so much better. It was so much better than SoundCloud because you had the player. Remember you had the player and you could put four songs. Yes. You could put the order you wanted them you know, to play, and people. Or something like that. Well, yeah, well, yeah, the top eight, yeah. but then you had everyone else, and people could add your song if they liked your song. They could add it to their profile. So you remember in MySpace, you're browsing around, and it, you know it's terribly designed, but music starts playing as soon as you land on a page. So the amount of songs that I discovered, and the amount of people who even discovered my music at the time, because other, you know, my my fans or friends would go and add my songs to their thing. So you go on the page, boom, you know, Step Into Me by Zuby starts playing. Someone hears that, they're like, oh, what's this song? Like and then they click on the song and it takes them to my profile. So it had this sort of like viral um, promotion mechanism. With Facebook, it's like, you know, there's no music front and center. To this day, you can't just like add a song to your Facebook page, even if you have a musician profile. Even on Instagram, there's no obvious way to just put my music front and center right it's it's reels and and images and whatever if i'm just like hey i've got a song or i've got these three songs that i think are my three best songs mm -hmm. and i would like to put these front and center to this day there is no platform that let you do it myspace was just like boom you're an artist profile you get this little box four songs they can click play it's got the play count and then it goes into a charts so people would go oh who's um on the uk uk charts uh hip-hop and you've just got like a list both whether you're on a label or you're independent or you're unsigned, whatever, you're all in the same chart. So if you have a song that's getting a lot of plays, you had the whole MySpace. Like, MySpace was actually way ahead of the really? game in this regard. Hopefully Zook is one that can remix and, uh, yeah. and bring it back. Yeah, like as, as a musical artist, it was so good for discovery. Like uh, thousands of people at this very early stage of my music career actually discovered my, me. 
just through MySpace, man. Dude, and this is before apps. So this is when it was, you know, you had to be on the desktop computer to be using it. I, I think that, um, uh, yeah, I, I've, I haven't even thought of this for many years, but I think that something like MySpace would still have potentially room if it were executed well. I think MySpace had a lot of good ideas, and some of them have been taken and used by other platforms. But um, yeah, some of those features I described, they're well, still I'll, not... I'll kind of bring it back to your initial question, how I ended up start talking about money, just to <laughs> kind of put the, the ribbon out there. I was always late to the game. Mm. Like, you're doing remixes on MySpace, <laughs> right? Yeah. And people are gravitating to different yeah. um, platforms. media platforms and all that. So I remember uh, the, girlfriend, the girlfriend I had at the time in like 2012, she could not put her damn phone down. I remember getting in an argument with her. I'm like, put the phone down, right? There was a time where people were not glued to their phone mm. and it was 10 years ago. Yeah. It wasn't like, <laughs> like you were like, you're so old. This is, I'm not talking about 1950s. Yeah. I'm talking about 2012. Yeah. Instagram shows. Up. Mm. What are you doing on your phone this whole time? And she's like, oh, it's Instagram. Dude, Instagram is not a known commodity at this point, yeah. right? That Facebook I saw what Instagram was doing. They bought it for, I think, a billion bucks. Uh-huh. And they did that. And I was like, get off your stupid phone. What are you doing? And then eventually, her and I broke up. Yeah. And um, my buddy, he says, you know, bro, you, you got to get on Instagram. Uh. It's like, it's a whole different world out there. I'm like, well, what do you mean? This is before dating apps are really a thing. Yeah. Hinge and Bumble. They're like, you got to get on Instagram. I'm yeah. like, well, what's going on on Instagram? And I open up my phone. I'm like, oh, oh gosh and i was like oh wow so that's i started doing instagram but what i realized talking about being like an early adopter or sort of being a visionary i realized that i was late no, no. to the cool guy contest on on instagram it was a cool i mean back in 2012 2013 it was just a cool guy yeah, you yeah. in front of your plane yeah. <laughs> you with the model yeah the, the world was never the same again cool contest so i said listen I know who I screwed up with Friendster. I was late. I knew I screwed up on MySpace. I was late. I knew I screwed up on Facebook. I was, I've been late to all this. Yeah. So at least if Instagram, people are saying that this is the future that they're going, let me at least take a blue ocean strategy to what the content is on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So when everyone's doing cool contest stuff, I'm like, let me do some money and financial and some business stuff, which was actually not a thing when Instagram started. At that time, yeah. Oh. So I'm out there telling people, hey, save that money, do this, be smart with your money. But I'm doing fun interviews and making it cool. So I recognized a few different things. Number one, the main industry that I was in was what I did. It wasn't who I was. Mm-hmm. I wanted to entertain. I wanted to have fun. I wanted to speak with people about in this particular subject money because I felt so passionate about it. When I'm 25, I'm broke as shit. 35, I'm a millionaire. Here's how I did it, guys. You know, I'm not just some old stuffy you know, financial advisor is 65 years old telling you, hey, if you retire one of these days, yeah. I'm 35. I live in South Beach. I'm in the nightlife world. I like to party like that fun. But I also focus on my money. So you can kind of delicately balance that. So that's the reason I started talking about money. Interesting. But now it's, you know, Pat was like, he's constantly saying, PPD, yeah. got to reinvent yourself. Got to reinvent yourself. Got to reinvent yourself. So now I'm, you know, but money, networking, relationships, women, friendships uh-huh. you know this is what's important to a guy yeah so i just think i'm a just a, a guy's guy like i love that i love hanging i i would say this all the time I, I like to do three things in my in my life i like to make money uh-huh. and like everything that comes with that whether yeah. that's 
you know, business or networking and everything that kind of comes with that. I like to hang out with my buddies, shoot the shit. I played basketball, I played football, you know, eat some chicken wings, have a beer. I'm that kind of guy. And quite frankly, I like hanging out with pretty girls. Yeah. You know? How dare you? What's that? I said, how dare you? How dare you? Yeah. So, you know, I'm a dude. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cancel me if you want, but I'm a dude that likes to make money, hang out with his buddies, and hang out with hot chicks. No doubt, man. How do you see that changing and how do you see that staying the same over the next decade? Those three things or, or what? Yeah. Well, uh, I don't think I'll ever change um, having a... Um, so I, I judge, I, and I do a lot of coaching on an app we call Manek, and I, and I say that what I call the big three pillars of life, um, and I'm sure there's more, but these are my three. Okay. I say there's health, wealth, and happiness. Uh-huh. Now, happiness is a very vague term. What is happiness? I define it as having meaning and purpose to your life and not just talking about it, being about it. Yeah. Putting your words match your actions or your actions match your words. But the other two are pretty simple. Uh-huh. Health, how healthy are you, right? And then wealth, how much money do you have? And I make everybody judge themselves on a score of one to ten. Okay. So for me right now, you know, I you know, maybe gained a couple of weight over the little weight over the holidays, but I give myself an eight, right? Okay. I'm pretty decent shape. You know, you're in good shape. You, I know you, you know, you're, you're doing your thing. Well, I've made my money. I'm mm-hmm. chilling, but I'm not PBD. I'm not mm-hmm. Your buddy. Elon you lost. Musk. So I give also myself an eight. Okay. You know, but happiness, you know, Elon Musk, you know, we're referencing him again. He said he was on Bill Maher. They, they said, you know, can you be truly happy just focusing on business, right? And not having a woman in your life. Well, he goes, I think you could be half happy. Yeah. But really, you know, we're meant to be with somebody. We're meant to have relationship. We're meant to have kids. We're meant to have family. So I think you can be half happy. Yeah. So I think the phase where I'm at right now, I think my money's good. My friendship's good. My network's good. You know, I'm very vocal. Like, I was briefly married at one point in my yes. life. Yes. Yeah. I've um, heard the story. But at this point, I'm looking for who I think would be an ideal wife. And I know that you're going through this process for sure. right now. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm a, you know, there's the conversation do I want to get married? Do I not want to get married? Do I want the government involved? Do I not want the government involved? All valid questions. Yeah. But I'm fully convinced that I want to be a father. Sure. Be a family man. Yeah. So I'm just building myself up right now. So, you know, I'll be in my early to mid 40s by the time this happens. Sure. But that's my vision for my life. So I hear that. I'm always going to be doing the, the money thing and, and, and having purpose and vision. I'm always going to want to have my network and my buddies. Uh-huh. But eventually the filtering process of your one woman or your wife or your baby yep. mama, that, that's inevitable. So I, I, I do learn from what else is out there. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you make decisions too early. Uh-huh. Sometimes you make decisions too late. So For I'm sure. at the chapter of my life now where I'm seeing buddies of mine get divorced. Yeah, yeah. Right? You're, 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 it, it's all coming to fruition, yeah, right? Like, oh, you're seeing the people who've been married for... Yeah, yeah. You didn't have any money. You didn't have any like. But then you'll also have those ones who did get married at 25, and they're like amazing. You know, their kids are like going to college now, and it's like, oh wow, amazing. Oh, interesting. Okay, fair enough. I mean, we'll see. I have a question. And then there's people that don't ever get married and don't ever have kids, and I'm like, Mm. you. That's way too selfish. You're missing out on a lot of. You're putting a cap on a lot of things. Then I think. I had a question about because you said you have more people that you know that are in that in that former category. Um, is that do you think that's due to wh- why do you think that is? Do you think that's a matter of 
locality? Is it a matter of industry? Is it a matter of type of person? Is it personality? What, why, why, why do you think that is? Because people have such different experiences in this. Like I know people who have grown up. This is why I, I can see things from a lot of different angles. So where I, I, the way I grew up and with my own family and everything, um, man, like very blessed in many ways. So my, my parents have been married for 48 years, wow. al- almost 50 years, you know, five, two, a 50 year anniversary. Yeah. Five, five kids, 10 grandchildren so far with, you know, Lord willing more to come. Um, and I'm from a big family. My, my dad is one of 11. My mom is one of seven, all married, all children. Like, I think there's like one divorce amongst like all of these people, 50 plus first cousins, like, and, and it's all worked out. And then the environment I grew up in in Saudi Arabia, it was all married couples. Like divorce was extraordinarily rare. Um, like all my friends growing up in school, like in from Saudi, all their parents stayed together. So I, I grew up in that environment. And I'm very aware that there are millions of people who grew up seeing the opposite. Like I've spoken to people who are like, gosh, I've never even seen a marriage work out. Right. It didn't work for my parents. It didn't work for my uncles, for my aunts, for the, these people. And Obviously, as we've said, these things do shape people's perspectives. And I think that this is something where both, quote unquote, sides can miss each other. Right. Because I know people who are like, you know, they're so soured on marriage and like relation. They like they think the whole thing that just like it, it's all broken, like it all doesn't work, whatever. And they focus on all the negative statistics. And it's just like and I but I, I can see why they think that way. Um, but it can be hard for someone who's kind of seen that and had that experience to understand someone there and vice versa. On the flip side, you have people who have grown up in, you know, a situation more like mine, and maybe they're not quite as empathetic, or they only relate to people who are also in those circles. So they don't get why anyone would have a, you know, a negative view on marriage, or even be concerned about divorce, or even right, like, it's all very foreign to them in both directions. And, you know, there's a lot of conversations going on right now about gender dynamics about the you know modern men and modern women and the challenges and marriage and divorce and and children and the risks and the benefits and the pros and the cons you're seeing it from all angles um it's a bit messy but i think actually overall that it's good that all of these conversations are happening and people can share their different perspectives and you can hear from the people who man it just really really went terribly for them and they can share their stories but you can also hear from like people who are super happy with it all and like yeah like do it it was amazing get married have children like you've just got all the different stories out there um so coming yeah coming back to what what i was what i was initially asking is um in your in your honest and humble opinion of those different situations what have you learned from that that you're like okay this is something i will do this is something maybe i need to be careful of like yeah where, where do you think that is because i think there's there's millions of men out so there who are wondering like what what have i noticed about marriage and staying together yeah staying so, together, so just for, from and and from the people you've seen and your experiences i think, I think you know to to revisit the instagram thing that we uh. talked about the world has changed yes since whether you call it facebook or whether you call it instagram let's just say 2010 okay what year do you want to kind of put this schism whatever it is yeah. i don't know what year would you say um i would say it's ooh, that's a that's a great question yeah. i'd say around 2012 a lot of things started to come off the hinges and then i'd say by around 2015 2016 it had kind of gone full steam We're right there yeah We're on the same page there but you know some some people 
could say Facebook, because now you can go look and that's the girl that you mm. liked in high school. And now you're friends with her. I think it's when people started carrying it around in their pocket all yeah, the time. That too. Yeah. And then Instagram out there, you know. So there's a couple things that that, that come to mind. There's the FOMO, right? There's like, oh, there's all this going on, but I'm stuck at home over here. Yeah. And now it's a global dating marketplace. You used to just go to the, you know, your local watering hole in Dallas or Des Moines and or in Delaware or whatever D city or B city, whatever. <laughs> and now it's a global dating marketplace. And now you're not competing with the people in your hometown. You're competing with the people in your country. You're competing with people around the world. Yep. You know, you said how you met your friend. <laughs> you know, I didn't go yeah, there. Yeah. But these DMs, speaking of these cities, the mm. DMs have changed the life. Uh, I also think that there's something I learned this the hard way that comparison is the thief of joy. Mm-hmm. So now you have so much to compare with. Well, there's this. And there's so many options out there. You ever go to the cheesecake menu? Oh, yep. And now you see like, all right, do I want to order this or this or this mm. or this or this or this or this? So what does that mean to people who are already married? Those people miss the boat. Uh-huh. But they still have a phone. Uh-huh. They still have Facebook. They still have Instagram. They still. Have... So now they're like, well, did I make the right decision? Did I not make the right? I have these kids, you know, but men are still compared to men of all time. Are yes. you a provider? You're a protector? You're being present for your women? There's still going to be accountability there for that. Women, as you're getting older, all right, so... I love my wife and all that, but damn, you see the uh, like. There's always going to be that, and now it's even more amplified right now. Uh, so I think it's even proven that these algorithms and these social media apps are making life harder and harder and harder. And what we're seeing in America for sure is that less people are getting married, or they're certainly delaying marriage. Yeah, um, less people are having kids. Less mm-hmm. women are having kids. Mm-hmm. More women are bought into the feminism type of things. I don't need no man. Um, what I call the Chelsea Handler lifestyle. Yes. Um, the few percentage of dudes that can be that dude that like makes money, has a lot of chicks, you know, hypergamy, yes. they're going to, you know, reap the benefits of getting all the money and all the women and all the views and all the clicks. That's great. But then you have a 80 other percent of men that are like, yo, what about me over here? Yeah. But they need to realize they need to get into that category. So there's just so much going on, but relationships are hard enough. Yes. The reason they call it the one <laughs> is because 99% of the time they don't work out yeah. and you marry the one, the 1%. But now you throw in social media and you throw in algorithms and you mm-hmm. throw in a global dating marketplace. There's so there's so much competition out there. Like a, competition is supposed to be good. That's capitalism yeah. options. But now there's so many options and there's so yeah. much stuff going on that I think it's hard to be satisfied in the current situation mm-hmm. you're in. But even if you're kind of satisfied in whatever situation you're in, you can always be like, well, let's roll the dice and see what else is out there. So I think yeah. it's more complicated than ever. But one thing that kind of rest assured about, at least for a man out there, uh-huh. is you know that you want to, you don't want to have multiple baby mamas. Yep. I assume that's not a good thing for most people. Not an aspiration. You, know you want to have kids, so you 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 use that as a general framework, and then you let the rest kind of be figured out along the way. But it's not easy these days. No, yeah, I think I I often say that anyone who's been married for certainly ten plus years, um, but. You could maybe even say seven plus years. Ninety nine percent chance they they don't quite get just how much it's changed. Let alone people who have been married for like decades and decades. Yeah, some stuff has stayed the same because human beings are human beings. Some of the challenges of being a man or being a woman like that doesn't change. That's just eternal. But people massively underestimate the technological shift and mm-hmm. just how much of an impact it's had. It's interesting as well because you talk about um sort of options and availability. And I think that for both men and women, 
a lot of it is an illusion, right? Because yeah, you 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 describe that situation. You know, a man might be in, and you know, he's he's got his wife, or and he's you know, gosh, you're seeing this, and you're seeing that, and you're seeing that. But just because you can see something, or yeah. there's someone out there, it doesn't mean like it doesn't mean these are this is these are all real op options. It's you, the same. Even even if you're in a super yeah. attractive woman, you you will have you will have thousands, millions of options of men who um, would be happy to jump into bed with you or to yeah. date you. But what percentage of those men would be willing to commit to you? Exactly. Like to truly commit, not like sex is not a high bar, not for men, no. right? But what percentage, okay, oh, I've got all these options. Like these guys are interested. It's like, sure, lots of men are thirsty. There's lots of thirsty men on the internet, but don't be getting gassed up thinking all of those men want to marry you and want to put a ring on your finger and will commit to you and make those. And I find when people actually sh can like shift that mindset and understand it and then understand that like look i believe very much that love is an act of will and it's a choice i haven't been married yet i will get married in the future and have children but i think oftentimes people miss that it's like it's it's not just passive right it's like a concerted effort and long-term desire and it, it, it's it's a commitment mm -hmm. it's a commitment um well, and let me, let me add one thing sure uh, there used to be a time. So you said your parents are married 48 years. Yeah, 48 years, yeah. I'm the youngest of five kids, and I'm 37. Wow. So if I do the math, I think 48 years, yeah. Uh, what did your mom do? What did your dad do? My mom was a, when they met? Yeah. My dad was a physician. Okay, gotcha. And my mom was a university student at the time. All right. So yeah. Classic. About uh, 10 year, about a nine, nine, 10 year age gap. She was, she, she was probably pretty, and he was successful. Uh -huh. Pretty close, or on at least on yeah, successful yeah. on the path towards it. On the path towards yeah. it. So, um, there used to be a time when an average guy, a hardworking guy, mm -hmm. you know, lunch, lunch pail worker guy, could get a normal, average, good-looking wife. Yeah, and that was a fair trade. Yes, he's got a job. He's going to provide and protect for his woman, and he's going to be there for his woman. She's going to be a good wife. She's going to cook and clean. Women. Yeah. As and I'm not saying that women shouldn't go to school. I'm not saying that women shouldn't educate themselves whatsoever. But you know, hypergamy. Women started succeeding and doing better, and they would look down on this guy if he doesn't have a college degree. Mm -hmm. And now that woman wants only a top guy. Yes. And the, the pool gets the pool shrinks as women get move better. Up yes, they price they price themselves out. So and that that's regardless of their career. So now there's women, especially if you're attracted to mm -hmm. online. You get so many guys sliding in your DM. There's so many guys saying, hey, you're so pretty, you're so doing this. And those are just regular women. Yes. Imagine the women who are doing OnlyFans or sex workers, and there's more than there should be. Yes, by far. And they're getting all the attention, and the guys are telling them they're so hot that their cupboard is overflowing uh -huh. with validation, and you're the best, you're the hottest, you're the thing ever. So now that girl goes out into the real world, and she gets hit on by a normal guy that, in, that traditionally... She should pay attention to. Mm -hmm. She's like, eh, what do you want? Like, she has that attitude mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm better than thou attitude, even if she's doing OnlyFans, yeah. right? Because she's just getting that attention and validation all day, every day from social media that when it happens in real life, when actually a good dude yes. says, hey, how are you? Can't recognize she's it. That, instead, instead of saying, hey, how are you as well? She's just like, um, I've already had my attention for the day. So... But those women, those high, you know, those women, they're beautiful, gorgeous, whatever. Uh -huh. They still want 
the Zoobies of the world, they still want the top dogs. But if you're not on that level, there's a 90% chance they want nothing to do with you. So it's harder than ever for a guy out there, and it's kind of easier than ever for a girl out there. The only difference is it, it's it's harder for a woman to actually get. get who, has propose, who has to propose? The man. A guy will hit it. Yes, that's my point, yeah. You know, I call. I have one buddy I call Mr. 2 to 10. Yeah. Because he'll take you down if you're a 10, and he'll take you down if you're a 2. Just depends on how much use it's done. Yeah. But uh, that, that that is very hard to do. Um, but you have to be that dude. So it's harder than ever. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, uh, beyond, obviously we've talked about leveling up as a man. Um, I know, but the primary people who do listen to this podcast, and I assume yours as well, it is predominantly young to young to middle-aged men. Yeah. Um, where do you, where, where do you see this all going? We've talked about uh, on your podcast being in the first quarter the next century we've got man we've got robotics coming down the pipeline we've got artificial intelligence coming down the pipeline where do you think where do you think this all goes for better or worse oh i would just (laughs) and in general man um that's that's a fantastic question i was actually thinking along the point of what we were just talking about in terms of dating relationships marriage family formation that whole world we've talked about how technology has disrupted it in the past 10 to 15 years and I see many more technological disruptions coming down the pipeline probably sooner than people think. Well, what are yeah, you, what's your I opinion think, on that? Look, um, I'm the last person <laughs> maybe in the world to give you the AI answer about yeah. virtual reality. And like, you know, I learned this with the metaverse. Like, you know, people are talking about the metaverse. I'm actually worried about what's going on in the universe. Yes. I don't know what's going on with augmented reality or virtual reality. I'm trying to focus on reality. Here's what I know. Uh, men are judged on three different categories. Um, your your wealth, uh-huh. how much money you can make, and everything that kind of falls into that, uh-huh. right? We, th- we can all agree that making money and being successful is incumbent for a man. Yes. Okay? Um, name, some, name a poor guy that people are talking about these days. Whether it's Elon Musk, whether it's LeBron James, whether it's Jay-Z, whether it's Patrick but David, they've all made some money and made their mark in this world. Uh-huh. Cool. The next thing is, like you talked about earlier, the easiest thing you can do is look your best. Yes. Dress well, work out, like don't be a slob. You know, there, there's a there's a new uh, study out there that's showing that men with breasts are going to have a lower life expectancy. We're like, yeah, no shit, men yeah. shouldn't have breasts. Yeah. So you don't have to be ripped. You don't have to be, you know, six pack up, but just above average. You're good. Yeah. Have some style. Have some flair. You're not going to always be looking like Miami Vice Crompton. <laughs> but like. But just look your best. Yeah. But then the other thing is acting your best. Yes. So that's being a man of principles, a mm-hmm. man of character, a man a man of integrity. And everyone has a different type of game. You know the guys out there that are super funny and super charming. Women love them. But you yeah. also guys know that are super romantic and like passionate. Women love that too. Mm-hmm. We also know guys that are super intellectual. Mm-hmm. So, but there's Creative, artistic, ways. playing the guitar by the fire. All that yeah. But it's, if you're, and I judge myself as so those three things that triangle is what I call your status of a man. Okay. So you might be a high on money, but you might be fat and sloppy. You might be a shitty person. If you add up the score, you have a ten on money, but a zero and zero on everything else. But as long as you're in the top ten percent of one of the three categories, you're going to be okay. Yep. If you're a rich guy, but you're kind of, you know, sloppy, but you don't have the best personality. You can rely on your mm-hmm. money a little bit. If you're a super fit guy, right? Yes. Women are going to be attracted to you. You're going to make your way in this world. 
Well, you might have a lame personality. You might be broke. You live with mm-hmm. your mom. That's only going to get you so far. Yeah. You might be super charismatic. You might be super amazing. Women love a sense of humor, all that, but you might be broke and mm-hmm. you might be sloppy. Yeah. But if you can be in the top 10% of any of those categories, yeah. especially if you can be the top 10% of two of the categories, or if you can be the top 10% of all three of those categories mm-hmm. where you can be wealthy, you can be looking your best, healthy, but also a man of integrity and honor. Mm-hmm. That's what I would call the top G or a high value mm-hmm. man, mm-hmm. but it's hard to do all three. So that's what I would say is that whether AI shows up or VR shows up or whatever it is, if you can be successful, good looking, and have your shit together and be a good person, yep. I think that is timeless. Amen. Adam, where can people find and follow you online? So we're at all things Valuetainment. We're here um, at Valuetainment Studios right now. Uh, you can uh, find me on the PVD podcast on Valuetainment. You can watch my podcast called The Sawscast. Uh, also on Valuetainment, or you can follow me along all socials at Saws Talks Money um, across all platforms. Awesome. Adam Sosnick, thanks for coming on the show, thanks, man. Dude. Appreciate you, bro. Yeah, man.